Hi, we are Daniel and Vicki Hagedorn from Preparing Kids for Life at PK4All.com, and our podcast is for all things parenting. Welcome to day number two of our 365-day journey with you. Uh, my wife and I are passionate about helping parents reclaim what we believe is their rightful place as the number one expert on their own kids. We we talk about the principles that that literally any parent can learn and apply to help their children discover the best version of themselves. And we answer every parent's most basic fears through this process. You know, I don't have what it takes to be a good parent, or I'm not qualified, or I'm going to mess up my kids. And, you know, like I shared in my story yesterday, I've felt all those things. But for the next 365 days, like I said, we are inviting you into our experiment. We're going to walk alongside your journey as your personal outfitters, guides, and allies every day, every step of the way. This is where it all starts, and we want to start uh, just by um, sharing our journey with you like we did yesterday, and now kind of moving into uh, some of the parts of your journey, right? This is, this is your journey. So I have my wife here with me, my amazing, incredible wife. Say hi, Annie. Hi. <laughs> that was her. Um, and the thing that I wanted to, to really talk to her and spend a lot of time on today's uh, podcast was just about grief recovery. Now, my wife, um, she's been doing grief recovery for over 16 years. She's literally taken hundreds and hundreds of people through this process. And um, there's a lot of misconceptions about grief recovery, what it is. We talked a little bit about that on some of our previous episodes, uh, in episodes one and two. But I want to deep dive a little bit more detail uh, with her and talk through just how uh, grief recovery really changes that. Because like I shared from my story yesterday, Um, When my daughter was born, that was the moment of transformation for me. I realized at that moment, look, I I don't care what it takes. I don't care what I have to do. I am going to be the father that God meant me to be. I'm going to be the the man that God meant me to be. I'm going to be the father that God meant me to be. And and I'm going to parent my child the way that God um, laid out for me because I really truly want my daughter prepared for life as the best version of herself. And so part of that experience really comes into play because as parents, we should be, our ceiling really should be our children's floor. But the only way that really happens is, like I said, if we're willing to deal with any stuff that's in our way. Because the hard truth is, whatever we don't deal with, our children will. And so I just wanted to to have Vicki kind of speak to that because she has had so much experience just helping people process through um, losses. And so first thing I just want to ask her to, to talk about is a lot of people, you know, whenever you say grief, whenever you say loss, they immediately lock and wrap their mind around the concept of death. And if they don't know anybody close to them that's died, they immediately kind of dismiss that or or ignore that as, well, I don't really need that or that's not really for me. And I just wonder if you could just sort of speak into that so we can kind of get that, um, you know, right off the bat, we can just sort of address that. 
Sure, I'd be happy to. Yes, so I'm certified by the Grief Recovery Institute, and I was certified back in 2003, I believe. And uh, so it's really been an incredible journey. It's something that I went through this process when my parents got divorced, and uh, I definitely needed tools to help me process through that. And it was so transforming for me that I decided to really to do this and to go after that and get certified. And one of the first things that I learned there is that grief is the most misunderstood um, event or thing that we deal with in society. It's really... Um, not something that we learn how to process. We learn by the home we grew up in how to kind of create coping mechanisms, really. And uh, our coping mechanisms usually are not very healthy, and they really don't teach us to cope at all. Usually it's things like checking out or using drugs or alcohol, that sort of thing. And so an interesting thing to think about is that Grief, uh, a definition of grief, is conflicting emotions caused by the end of a familiar pattern of behavior. And that's something to really think about because when you realize that that's really the definition of grief, it's a lot of things. I mean, it's something we're all dealing with, right? Absolutely. All the time. Yeah. It's the end of the familiar. We just don't call it that. Right. Maybe. But it's that's what we're dealing with all the time. Yeah. And when something is ending, it can be that covers, there's over 40 things that we will experience in life that are loss and grief um, experiences. And that if you think of the end of a familiar pattern of behavior, it's moving, it's um, graduating from junior high to high school, graduating from high school to going to college. It's, it's changing any of those things. It's the breakup of a relationship, the end of a friendship, the end of a job, the loss of a job. I mean, there are so many things that, that when you think about that and, and to really realize that when you're feeling grief, it's conflicting emotions. So you can kind of be happy and sad at the same time. You can feel excited about something, but anxious and worried. Like all of this, all of these things are conflicting emotions and it's really what grief really is. Maybe, maybe you could just share even like, for example, when we moved out here, from uh, Los Angeles to Austin, um, obviously we both knew it was the right thing to do. We felt like God was calling us here. Uh, we had a lot of close friends here, but also your family was there. Um, we were happy to be moving out of the neighborhood that we were in and moving into a safe neighborhood. Yes, um, very true. So there was a lot of good in moving here. However, that was even a process that you grabbed. You you even had to deal with the loss of the house and mm -hmm. the memory and and the people and your family's there. And obviously, we still see your family, but but not in the same way, not not as often. And you you had to kind of process through that too, right? Oh yeah, definitely. And that's one of the other things that I love about. I I really call grief recovery. It's an emotional maturing course um, because. When you don't grow up learning how to process through hard things, you realize that that there's so many things in life that you don't have any clue how to process through. And when you get married or when you have, have kids, those just everything just gets elevated to such degrees. And so 
um, you know, I, I was able to use the tools that I had gotten to help me process through. And, and you know, grieving is a natural, normal thing. Right. It's we natural all do it. and normal. And so you, part of that is allowing yourself the ability to do that, to cry, to feel things, to give yourself that space. I mean, the abnormal well. part is the way that we process it. And we process it from myths that we believe from our childhood or things that people we respect tell us that are maybe not helpful about grief. or you know, So we process that. One, one thing I wanted to go back to was, um, because I think this really relates to specifically what we're talking about here, and that is that whatever we don't deal with, our children will. Mm. And so one of the things that, that happens in here, now you're starting to see that there's a lot of levels to, gra- to, to grief. There's a lot of layers to it. It's not just what you thought it was. And so now that you kind of understand that, hey, grief is something common to us all. It's happening a lot more often than you think. I wanted to press in on, on an aspect of that and that is that grief accumulates. Mm. Grief accumulates. It doesn't just sort of go away just Mm-mm. because time has passed any more than fixing a flat tire happens because you happen to sit by the side of the road and watch your tire for long enough. It, it doesn't. So, but if people, if grief is cumulative and then people aren't learning how to process that grief, then maybe what happens when they become parents and now they're in a situation like I was in. Now it's all coming to the surface and now the rubber's meeting the road. Right. Yeah. And when you don't have an ability to process, what you end up doing is going to your coping mechanisms. And coping mechanisms are how, how did the family that you grew up in handle grief and loss? Did you grow up in the kind of home where people talked about it? Did it feel safe for you to be honest? Were mm. you told things like, if you're going to cry, go to your room. Or if you keep crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Like, what what was the, you know, culture or, or the temperature, I guess, in your home growing up? I grew up in a home where we didn't talk about anything. Um, there was a lot of partying. I learned medicating. very young medicating to um, medicate and to numb. And you didn't really deal with things that were painful, sad, mad, any of those things. You didn't right. You didn't talk about them. And that's how I learned. So, so, so it's only you... normal that that's what you would do in your own home. Right. Right. But also, there's something important, I think, in what you said there, too, is because then at whatever age you are, that you start kind of this numbing out process, whatever you use to numb out, that's that's kind of where you are developmentally too. Yes. Like you, you kind of stay there. So if you learned how to kind of medicate through this when you're in high school, then it could be 20 years later and there's still going to be a lot of ways in which you're in high school. I mean, I... Emotionally. I, emotionally, mm-hmm. right? Because I, I just feel like for myself, you know, um, on one level, having to take care of my mom and, and do all that, I, I'm going way beyond an eight-year-old's normal life on the other hand um withdrawing from my dad and kind of retreating into kind of a little fantasy world i'm creating for myself that was that was not healthy either and that was stunting my emotional maturity on some levels and and so i just had less bandwidth to process anything um i think i think that 
the the grief recovery component is really really key because if we need a way to process through this stuff and and I don't really know I haven't experienced anything that helped me process through the stuff in my life like grief recovery I I feel like what it did is all the other things that I pursued were able to work and were able to be as effective as they were because I was able to receive them. And I was able to receive them because of what grief recovery allowed me to do, that space that it gave me. Um, What do you see? uh, I know that you've worked with a lot of parents. Uh, what What do you observe in the relationships that the people have had with their parents and then how that's affected their relationship with their kids? Well, I think that um, we have two ways to go. Either we're going to go the complete opposite of what we experienced growing up or we're going to be just like them. Mm. And um, so I, I think that what is awesome is that the tools that you learn in grief recovery work for everyone and everyone is completely unique and individual and it's pretty brilliant how it does that because there isn't a one-size-fits-all although um, the process is the same for everybody so the process is that you go back and you get to get complete with your deepest wounds Mm. and those are the things that you basically have contributed to how you see life how you experience life. Um, When you have had loss as a young person uh, or, you know, things that we go through and how you learn to process them, what happens is something inside of you, um, well, we talk about it like an artichoke around a heart. And if you think about the protection that's around a heart in an artichoke leaf and at the, the end of those leaves, they're little prickly Mm-hmm. Um, points points oh, right. yes and so it really protects that heart from everything though right from mm. connection as well as from being hurt and right. we know that you can't have you know one without the other so the idea is that you get to kind of peel off those leaves to expose and to get to the soft heart um, and the healing that happens there it's been incredible I mean I know just for my own experience I knew before um before I went to grief recovery I had gotten sober and I had stopped using alcohol and and drugs of any kind anything that's going to change me from the neck up right right it's not going to happen and, <laughs> right and I knew that I was I wanted to give my daughter a household that didn't abuse mm. alcohol or anything like that 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 at, there's nothing else I want to give her a place where we're going to deal and not numb out to right. the best that I could do. <clears throat> right. And that's something that I really felt strong about, and I still do. And um, and that was just kind of the beginning of my journey, really, was choosing not to numb out. I am going to engage in life and and grab whatever I can to learn and to grow. And so that's how... Um, now, for you, what do you feel like has been the hardest and the best part about that process for you? Wow. Um, The hardest and the best part of the process of going after things? Well, going, going through like the, the, 
the process of grief recovery and all that it unpacks and all that it exposes, but all that it heals, what was for you, what was the most difficult part about it? But then also what was the best part of that? Well, I would say the the difficult part is when you're in it, when you're going through it, because what it actually helps you to do is kind of come face to face with what happened and how it made you feel. Mm. And in doing that, it's I, I always liken it to if you have a toothache and there's this dull pain all the time. When you finally go and you get that tooth pulled, it's painful. Right. But then the ache is gone. Yeah. And so I, I think about that and I, I remember when I was going through the process of grief recovery the first time, it was really emotionally painful because I was graphing and I was going back into things that I, you know, we discover a lot of coping mechanisms that um, are survival mechanisms. So they help you survive, but that's not living and it's not thriving. Surviving right. is usually numbing and living a life where you're easily um, provoked or right. easily offended or, you know, like your life is just, you're constantly feeling rejected or constantly feeling left out or not enough. Or, you know, like you're just trying to navigate through all this stuff. And when you go back and you really deal with what started all that, um, it's just, it's pretty amazing. It's painful, but the process is so guided that you're never left alone in it. And then Mm. once it's over, it's amazing how your perspective shifts, your perspective on um, these, these you know, foundational relationships. For most people, your perspective of God totally shifts because a lot of times when we're hurting and we've gone through stuff, we don't understand why God allows things. Mm. And the perspective of God is um, challenged. And, you know, a lot of times in church situations, you're kind of told it's a sin to be mad at God or have these feelings towards God. And really, it's a normal, natural thing to be mad at God when you don't understand. But when you get to process through and you get to get complete, it totally shifts uh, your perspective on everything. And uh, it's pretty incredible. So I would say the best thing about it would be uh, just how it was after. Mm. And I felt like... I I remember this so clearly. I had been in therapy since I was 19, and I got sober at 26. Uh, I also had a horrific eating disorder all through my 20s, and um, I was in really extensive therapy for that, and I continued to struggle with that my first couple years of sobriety. Um, I was bulimic, and it was very difficult to um, just to... Oh, I, it was a, it was a big part of my daily struggle. And, um, I remember in this process of going back and doing grief recovery, how clear I saw all these connections Mm. to things that I was starving or trying to control. And I really saw clearly, um, one of the things that we talked about all the time in therapy was boundaries. You have to have boundaries. And, it, and my life was so codependent. It was either totally addicted or codependent. And I couldn't even figure that out. And I, I never got it. And I read the book Boundaries um, a lot. And I couldn't <laughs> figure it out until I did grief recovery. And yeah. when I after I finished that first time, 
And all of a sudden I had this clarity and I remember being in a conversation and realizing that I wasn't feeling good about the conversation and I knew that in real time. Mm. And I was able to say, have a boundary about it. Right. And know, oh my gosh, this is boundaries. You have to have a clarity to be able to be 100% in this moment in order to have a boundary. And until you do this kind of work to help you get complete, you can't do that. Right. I don't care how much therapy. <clears throat> I've I spent tens of thousands of dollars. And the therapist, it was all positive. Right. But nothing helped me get to the bottom, to the to me and to my identity and to to having that kind of clarity then when I did this work. And that's when I realized, oh, this is what I'm meant to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think for me, you know, there was like we had some really I feel like great therapy that we did in our marriage. Yes. Um <clears throat> which is which was really uh awesome. And and I think therapy can be very effective too, but I think in a lot of ways uh, kind of to use your example of the of the tooth, um therapy sort of goes into a long, very descriptive um well, just a long description of the pain and what it feels like and what the tooth looks like and where the tooth is in relation to the other teeth. But it's not actually <laughs> taking the pain. Right. It's just, I'm just understanding the nature of my pain in explicit detail. But for yeah, me... Yeah, they call it discovery. There's a lot of discovery. Yeah, there's a lot of on. discovery, which is great mm -hmm. on some levels. On the other hand, at that point, I just want my tooth out. Yeah. I just want the pain gone. And so I think that was, you know, for me as well, something that I really was very effective. And I, I think in putting up, like you mentioned the book Boundaries, great example. That book is amazing. If you guys haven't read that book already, I strongly urge you read that book. It's fantastic. Um, Cloud, Henry Cloud and Townsend. Townsend. I forget the, his first name, Cloud but and Townsend. Cloud and Townsend, uh, Boundaries, look it up. It's an amazing book. But that's a great example of that book was an awesome tool after mm -hmm. you had gone through the process of Absolutely. grief recovery. Mm -hmm. Before that, it was just, well, I know this is a good book. I know this probably has some good stuff in it, and I know I could probably use it, but I don't really know how right now. Right. And I think... I think that part of what we're we're talking about to parents here is that you have to have some mental clarity in your life. You you have to be able to to look at the things that might be holding you back. We're actually going to be talking about uh, belief systems in some upcoming podcasts because it's so key to really understand our belief system. It's the operating system of our our lives becomes the lens through which we see everything. Yeah. And, you know, just because something is real for us doesn't always mean it's true. Mm. And that's kind of one of those hard things. But we'll we'll touch on that in another on another podcast. For right now, um, I just wanted to mention that I think that's what grief recovery does is and that's why, you know, this is kind of where it all starts. It all starts in, in looking at how we came to believe the things that we believe about grief and loss, which grief and loss happen in our lives and around our lives all the time. 
There are a lot of different ways that it happens. We've already talked about it's a lot more than just divorce or death. There's a lot, a lot of layers to it. And it has a huge impact how we process it because however we process it is how we're teaching our children right. to process it. And whatever we're not able to process becomes a hindrance in our life. It can become a hindrance, you know, emotionally, could be end up being professionally, but certainly and importantly to our discussion here, it has an impact on parenting, right? Yeah, absolutely. It has there's, an impact on parenting. <clears throat> there's a great um, example of this that uh, I remember Russell telling in the class and uh at the Grief Recovery Institute, you can call. They have a hotline that you can call and talk to somebody if you're going through something. And this one day, a woman called in, and uh, her she was calling in because her son, she said, I'm calling because my son lost his father, and he won't talk to me. He just keeps locking himself in his room, and he will not talk to me. And Russell asked her, is this your husband? And she said, I did not call to talk about me. I'm just calling to get advice. How do I help my son? So he asked her some more questions to find out. Her her son was young, um, eight or nine, I believe, and was able to kind of find out more details about what had happened. And um, he had died suddenly. And in fact, this was her husband. And she was devastated. And so he finally kind of got her to talk and she said, well, you know, I have to be strong for my, my son. And so I go in my room and I cry in my room and I pull myself together and then I come out. And so Russell was just quiet on the phone so that she could hear her own words. Mm. And what she realized in a couple minutes was, oh my gosh, he's doing exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. He watched his mom grieve alone in her room. Of course he heard her. Kids yep. pick up on everything. Yes, they do. And so he was watching that that's how you did it. Mm. And it's unbelievable. You know, that whole thing that, you know, I, I don't know, parents would say it back in the day and they'd say, don't do as I do, do as I say. Right, right. And it's not true. <laughs> Kids, don't we all do that? We're going to do what we see and we, we imitate that. And so it's, I believe, the most important thing about um, a home that is um, happy is it has to have emotional safety. And for kids, what that means is that they're able to express out loud how they feel. And if you're going to ask your child how their day was, listen, don't fix. Yeah. If your child comes home and they're upset about something and Sally did something, don't just so easily say that we do. It's so easy to minimize and say, oh, I'm sure she didn't mean it. Or those kinds of minimizing things. Let the child talk. And you might have to go first. And you might have to say something like, oh, I know I would be sad if something like that happened to me. Where you start to help them to connect to, you know, things like that. I'm just saying that as a quick example. But you want to be a safe place for them to be honest. Because sometimes we realize that we haven't been. 
a safe place. And honestly, it really starts with you and your spouse because your kids are aware of how you talk to each other and how you allow each other to process as well. And um, if you guys are interested, we have a great ebook. Uh, if you go into the description, there's a link to download uh, an ebook that has a lot of great information on it called Building an Emotionally Safe Home. And it's free too. It's totally it's a free. It's free resource. And you know what we could put on there too? That PDF we have of the do's and the don'ts of what to say and what to not say. Yeah, that's really helpful because I was going to say awesome. just in, in a quick add to what Vicky was saying is a lot of times we'll, something's going on with our kid and our first, our first question is mm. what's wrong? Mm-hmm. Wrong question. Yeah. <laughs> wrong question. Uh, we should be taking an acknowledgement of, wow, you really seem to be sad. Would you like to talk about that? Mm-hmm. Or you, you seem upset. Would you like to, to talk about that? Because first of all, that, that acknowledges that something's going on and you're not, you're not categorizing it as wrong. Right. You're just acknowledging that it's that it's there. And then you're also giving your child the space and the emotional safety to step into and actually tell you what's going on. And then you are there to listen and to to validate what they're they're saying. And when we say validate, I want to be careful because you know, they could, your kid could very well have the wrong perception about something, but this isn't the moment that you're trying to fix that. Mm -hmm. This is just the moment of acknowledging right now, in this moment, this is their reality. It may not be true, but this is their reality and I need to at least acknowledge and honor that. Right. Because what I think what happens is, you know, have you ever had something going on And all of a sudden your mind starts going a million miles an hour and you start projecting and you start assuming and you Mm. start doing all those things. And then when you talk about it out loud to someone else and you hear yourself talking, you're able to process through, you're able to make sense of it. And really you're teaching your child a skill of doing that because as they obviously, it's our jobs as their parent. And I love this, Dan, you say this a lot, to be the gatekeeper and the interpreter. We're helping them learn how to do that. We're helping them when they're young to have the boundaries around them and also how to interpret life as right. it happens. And so part of that is giving them the opportunity to express and asking them questions so that they can process through and got helping them got helping guide that process. And what's beautiful about that is when you're doing that with a child who's five and then when you're doing that later with the child who's 12 that you've been allowing this, you start to see that they're building that muscle. Yeah. And as they process, they begin to go, oh, wow, I can see how I was totally triggered by that. Or, you know, like they begin to, they're, they're, they're like exercising that muscle. Yeah. It's like resiliency and Mm -hmm. self-awareness. Both of them. Resiliency and self-awareness. Yeah. And when you have, you know how it is when you have a friend, you know how it is when you are feeling something and someone comes up to you and asks you, are you okay or what's wrong? And you start to tell them and then they immediately start giving you advice. Oh, you should or you <sighs> need yeah. to. Well-meaning, but right? not helpful. Or even better, here's a freebie. <laughs> Never ever say this. Oh, I know exactly how you feel. I dot, 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 dot. 
or when that happened to me, I never, never say, I know exactly how you feel. Never, never say, I know how you feel. When someone is sharing something, you can empathize with someone and say, oh, tell me more about that or I can't imagine. But when you tell someone you know exactly how you feel, it's the most minimizing thing. And when someone is really sharing their heart, they will stop talking because they don't feel safe. Yeah. And and, and they child, won't. they may not know why. Right. But it may not be a conscious thing, but subconsciously they'll just kind of shut down and pull back. And then if that happens enough times, pretty soon, guess what? They just don't offer anything Mm-mm. to begin with. And you know when you'll notice it the most is when your kids become teens. And that's when you want them to talk to you. Right. And they will not. No. They won't. I know, you know, I, I've shared with you guys, I always feel like you know my story because I've shared it so many times. But, you know, I, I had a difficult relationship with my dad. And um, I, I shared, tried to share some things early on. It did not go well. I mean, I literally reached a point like, I don't give a crap if my hair is on fire. I'm fine. Nothing wrong with me. I'm all good. I'm not talking about a thing with you. Like, I, I nothing. Like, my response, it's fine. Everything's fine. It's always fine. It's fine. It's fine. Because I wasn't going to say a thing. Mm. And uh, no matter how jacked up everything might be, everything's fine. And so what you don't want to do is you don't want to be eliciting that response in your kid because you need your kid to feel safe talking to you. And, you know, their, their willingness to share with you and talk with you is exactly what is going to build the kind of closeness that you need to speak truth into their life. Because when you speak truth into their life, they will trust the source that it's coming from. They will trust that. They may not like it, and that's fine, but they will trust it. Right. They will trust it. And something that's really chilling and something to really think about is under almost all addiction is unresolved grief. Yeah. And so when you are allowing your child to process through emotional things and you're teaching them that skill what you're doing is you're, you're really investing in the idea that at some point when everybody else is using or, or trying things, hopefully they won't feel the need as much. And they definitely won't have the need to numb out so much if they're learning how to process their emotions. Because when you think about that, that almost all addiction mm. underneath that is unresolved grief. Last thing that I'll share too is there's another definition of grief that we uh, teach at the Grief Recovery Institute, and that is that unresolved grief is undelivered communication of an emotional nature. So if you think about that, when you are able to recognize what you're feeling, say out loud what you're feeling, and be heard with dignity and respect. Because you're in a safe place. Yes, because you're in a safe place. That is how you learn how to process through your feelings in a healthy way. And when you're able to do that, you're not going to have so much accumulate like you were talking about how it's cumulative like that. So it's, it's really uh, an incredible, incredible thing to focus on uh, building an emotionally safe home and what that looks like and how we can really be safe for each other first, for our spouse and for our kids. 
Yeah. And, and that's honestly, guys, where it all starts. And so that's where we're going to end uh, this podcast episode. But I just want to say thank you so much for listening. I, I, I say this every time, but I really mean it. Thank you so much for listening. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there. You're choosing to listen to ours. We're so grateful. Uh, be sure to check out our website, pk4l.com. There's lots of great resources there. And click on the link in the show description and download your free ebook, Building an Emotionally Safe Home is our gift to you. Until tomorrow, have a great day.